Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. On today's Accent of Women, we conclude our exploration of early Japanese communist women. Shomi Yun is a member of the International Socialist Organization in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Shomi herself is from Japanese origins and was a keynote speaker at the Marxism conference held in 2014. Shomi picks up here in the middle of her profile on leading communist feminist Magara and the influence of the Russian Revolution on developing Japanese socialist motivation. There's obviously an urgency that was propelling socialist women uh, into getting active and Magara was deeply affected by socialist slogans like Uh, There is no true liberation without female emancipation and women are the last slaves. And what she took uh, from these slogans was that um, it was the lack of female participation in these revolutionary movements that was actually holding the the process of revolution back. So I'd say it was perhaps a bit uh, voluntarist, but, you know, it was her sentiment, I've got to get in there, I've got to get started organising, I've got to start getting active. Um... (coughs) So, what were Red Wave's aims and ambitions at this time? <clears throat> so, like I said, marching on May Day was their most immediate um, reason for establishing Red Wave, um, but these women had other greater aims as well. And uh, Magara wrote the simple founding statement. Um, it's just a, a two sentences long. We are opposed to the tyranny that has made our brothers and sisters ignorant and impoverished, which has bound them to slavery and a life of obscurity. We stand in firm opposition to such oppression. But it's fairly simple. Um, but I think what's evident here in these two sentences is her attempt to delineate or separate red wave from the dominant feminist thought that was around at the time. She's trying to make clear that it's not feminism but socialism, which is at the heart of the group's politics. And I think her references to brothers and sisters uh, in a common fight against slavery and a life of obscurity is indicative of this. And again, uh, we stand in firm opposition in the case that she saw women and men as comrades against a common enemy, which was the capitalist class. Um, And moreover, that she wants to stress that it was the system itself that was at the heart of the oppression. Um, And uh, Kikue Yamakawa, who is this woman here, um, also another founding member of Red Wave, um, she makes this this kind of uh, delineation more explicit in the manifesto that Red Wave wrote, but I'll go into that later. <clears throat> so while their aims were set high, they wanted to overthrow the system, they were actually quite humble and um, realised the uh, realistic. they had a realistic image of themselves. The term Red Wave is not a literal translation. I'm a translator, so I get quite finicky about these things. Uh, that's for any Japanese students. Uh, Seki Rangkai, the Red Wave Society. But this term here, wave, uh, it's more like a ripple. So it's, it's, it's actually the, the literal translation would be Red Ripple Society. That's, that's the kind of impact that uh, these women hope to have on Japanese society, a, a small ripple. <clears throat> so, you know, there was, a, there was a humility to, I suppose, their understanding of the limitations and the potential impact that these women could have. 
uh, which was so. I want to go into a political profile of uh, Kikue Yamakawa, who was one of the women that I pointed out earlier, <coughs> and she also authored the Red Waves um, Manifesto. <coughs> so that's Kikue uh, here. Um, she was um, from a, she was highly intellectual. And she came from a relatively affluent samurai, uh, samurai uh, family. Um, <clears throat> so her relative privilege uh, enabled her to continue on her education until high school. And it was something both her parents uh, really encouraged in her um, to follow her academic pursuits. Um, and as a socialist writer, and uh, she really, before she joined Red Wave, she really uh, cuts her political teeth debating uh, Seto, the blue stocking group, a liberal and bourgeois feminist grouping at the time. Um, she was highly critical of the group and their calls for women's suffrage. <clears throat> so that, again, you can see the influence of um, anarcho-syndicalism there. In one polemic, she criticised the bourgeois feminists for their philanthropist nature toward, the, uh, toward working women. And she writes... We believe that there are absolutely no methods within a capitalist society which are capable of alleviating the misery of female workers. We believe that it is a sin to squander the strength of weak women workers in the movement to improve working conditions and in the profitless labour-consuming diet movement, diet being the parliament. <clears throat> that is any movement which diverges from the only road to salvation for women workers, the destruction of capitalism. But bourgeois gentlewomen, because they cannot trust or imagine a society beyond capitalism, concentrate their energies on ineffective attempts to alleviate the misery of working women. Um, and again, I mean, I think, like I said, this reflects her ultra-leftism and it's impacted by the anarcho-syndicalist ideas, which were the dominant ideas at the time for socialists. Um, but I think, uh, I don't want to make a political gloss over it, but for Kikue, I mean, her reading of the political times was that revolution was a real and present possibility. Revolution was really on the cards. So she felt that any move towards trying to legitimise parliament and the parliamentary process would actually unnecessarily blind workers into a compromise with the system rather than its overthrow. So, again, I don't want to gloss over, I think it was a political era, but... Um, yeah, uh, that was, I think, part of their justification at the time. Um, and it's clear that her own views on this changed later. She acknowledged the ultra-leftism, particularly after the Russian Revolution. Um, she made a political break, or attempted to, whilst being still quite heavily uh, influenced by anarcho-syndicalism, and moved towards Bolshevism. <clears throat> and with this move came a more nuanced view, I'd say, of the um, importance of winning the right to vote and of female participation in that uh, electoral system. Um, Kikue, I should say, though, played quite a peculiar role within Red Wave. She was um, enlisted more as an advisor, so not as an activist, but um, uh, as an advisor to the, to the society. Um, and on, she didn't necessarily march on the day, on May Day, um, but she lent her support in uh, pinning their, the manifesto and speaking at public lecturers uh, fundraising, working bees, so on. <clears throat> so in, a, in other words, while she was a peripheral member, um, it was she gave the group some focus uh, through her, her writing. Um, and I'm going to quote uh, the manifesto that Kikue penned in its entirety, partly because it's the only remaining document that Red Wave actually commissioned. Mm -hmm. um, but also it shows, I think, the, the politics that cut against the essentialism that was employed by bourgeois feminists at the time. That, um, and, you know, she really makes explicit 
the link between capitalism, imperialism, and women's oppression in the manifesto. <clears throat> so she writes, May Day is the proletariat's day, the day for us oppressed workers. Women and workers have travelled the same road of ignorance and oppression for countless centuries, but dawn is about to break. The dawn bell first sounded in Russia, moment by moment dispels the dark gloom of capitalism and tells of approaching victory. Together with our brothers, let us ring the bell with all our strength to signal the liberation of the proletariat in Japan. Women, you have awakened. Join in May Day. So now this is me. Uh, so it's clear from this uh, first sentence that uh, the Russian Revolution, you know, has this momentous inspirational effect on these women. <coughs> and, you know, this is the main impetus that they try and encourage women out onto the streets. Uh, the manifesto continues. The Red Wave Society is a women's oh, this is Kikwe, by the way. The Red Wave Society is a women's organization that plans to participate in the enterprise to destroy the capitalist society and build a socialist society. The capitalist society turns us into slaves at home and oppresses us as wage slaves outside the home. This is a society which has driven many of our sisters into prostitution and for the sake of its own aggressive ambitions has taken away our beloved fathers lovers, children, and brothers. A society which, for the sake of its own greedy profiteers, greets the proletariat of other countries with artillery and slaughter. So I think in, in this paragraph, this is me again, um, it's clear that uh, Kikue uh, stresses the uh, oppression of women within uh, capitalism. It's, it's just saying it's rooted within capitalism, and so it's the system itself that needs to be destroyed for a uh, socialist society to build um, for genuine women's liberation. <clears throat> um, and I think the manifestos at Pace point out the savagery and the barbarism of capitalism, um, and it's, uh, it's pushing a clear anti-war, anti-imperialist stance here as well, which is quite notable because it was one of the only women's organisations at the time to take an anti-imperialist stance um, against Japan's um, imperial incursions into Korea and into China. <clears throat> So the manifesto ends with a rousing call again for women to come out onto the streets on May Day. She finishes, The Rewave Society declares all-out war on the cruel, shameless society. Women who wish to be liberated join the Rewave Society. Socialism offers the only way to save humankind from the oppressions and abuses of capitalism. Sisters who love justice and humanity join the socialist movement. So you get a sense of the kind of you know, ambitions and hopes that these women had um, and sadly for Kikue, uh, she couldn't uh, participate on the May Day, partly because um, her son was on the verge of death, um, suffering from diphtheria, and she herself had just recently uh, recovered from tuberculosis, which was a disease that uh, was very uh, killed a lot of revolutionaries around that time as well. <clears throat> so we'll kind of skip over. I did want to do one of... Um, uh, Sakai Magara as well, but we'll we'll get a bit more into her later, I suppose. Um, so we'll kind of go into the actual day. How did the actual uh, intervention into May Day work out for them? <coughs> so by all accounts, according to the bourgeois press, the following day, it was an astounding success. So far from this ripple effect that they just hoped to achieve, it was more like a tsunami. Um, <laughs> and while there are only 20 women who marched on the day, uh, the absolute savagery and uh, vitriol attacks that these women faced in the press the next day was astounding. <clears throat> and the particular fury was directed at um, Magara, um, Sakai Magara here. 
um, who was just 19 at the time, a recent graduate of a woman's college. <coughs> um, so, yeah, the Rigway woman successfully managed to march with 10,000 other workers to mark the second May Day in Tokyo. Um, and this May Day was twice as big as the first May Day in 1921. Um, and they, for the day, the members took precaution of just gathering in ones and twos um, on an upstairs, uh, upstairs of a barber who was sympathetic to what they were doing. Um, and to march halfway through, to join the march halfway through. They, they took this precaution because they didn't want to be arrested before the march had even started. Um, and they, they met in their ones and twos so that the police wouldn't stop them en route to joining the march. Um, and they had two hand-sewn banners for the day. Uh, their main banner with the kanji uh, sekirangai, which is that, and it's, which uh, we have no remaining um, banner of. But... A uh, smaller banner as well with the uh, with the letters RW. So this is one of the remaining, the only remaining banner. <clears throat> uh, the woman couldn't ask for a better day. It was a perfect, gorgeous May Day. There's not a single cloud in the sky. Um, and as the May Day procession edged closer, the Rig Wave woman rushed towards the march and joined the Radical Printing Union, which um, Kay, you could probably talk more about. Um, and Magara recalls this moment of when they rushed in to join this march. We were met with huge applause by the unionists and the march welcomed and surrounded us. There was tremendous support from passers-by and supporters bringing us sweet bread rolls and water to drink en route. Mm -hmm. People were waving at us from trams and tapping their windows from above to show their support. Mm -hmm. um, so you can just imagine the sense of solidarity, uh, the defiance and the strength that these women felt for attending the very first mass march for the very first time. Um, you know, if people know this feeling for anyone who marched, you know, on the march march, that feeling of collective anger and solidarity, that's, you know, immense sense of empowerment. Um, and Margaret still to this uh, 60 years later in the memoirs, still talked about this day being one of her political highlights. <clears throat> um, and surprisingly for the woman, uh, uh, police let them march, um, so they, you know, were able to show their flagrant um, defiance of the peace preservation law, um, but they were all arrested at, at the end <clears throat> after women had to spend a night in custody as well. So here's some um, pictures of the, um, the, the, some photos that made it to the, um, the bourgeois press and the next day um, with captions like outrage, you know, women protesting, shock horror that kind of thing. Um, so these were all photos from the, the press the next day. <clears throat> and on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. You're listening to Shomi Yun from the International Socialist Organisation of Aotearoa, speaking about early Japanese communist women. The first few lectures, activities that Red Wave had to organise after this arrest was to um, uh, fundraise for themselves to pay for the fines uh, for distributing unauthorised the, the manifesto that I read out earlier, <coughs> asking women to join May Day. Um, so these lectures, police um, intimidated and harassed anyone who, who was seen to try to enter these lectures um, by um, everyone who attended these fundraising lectures had to give their name, their occupation, uh, their work or their school um, as they entered uh, the lecture hall. <clears throat> and of course you can imagine in this kind of political repressive time, students and workers faced uh, 
being fired or um, um, expulsion if you're a student for even associating themselves with a meeting like this. But um, one of the highlights of the fundraiser was, of course, the 19-year-old Magara who made a political spe debut speech at this event. Um, and to the crowd, she, you know, recounted a, her experience. Um, and the, the the police at the time called her baby cheeks. What are you doing on this protest? Um, mm -hmm. To which she responded, "What do you want, Porky?" Um, the, officer, the officer at the time was so momentarily stunned that he reduced her saying, oh, madam, sorry, you know. <laughs> to which Magara then responded to the, to the, you know, the fundraising crowd, comrades, I'd like to clarify that I'd prefer to be called baby cheeks than madam. <laughs> madam means a woman who does not work sponges off the labour of others and dresses herself up to pursue her dream of marriage. I have no desire whatsoever to get married and even if I work, that doesn't mean I'm truly independent or liberated. <clears throat> so this is a far cry from the, the good wife, wise mother, Japanese state propaganda of the time, obviously, um, and, uh, you know, which largely confirmed, you know, good wife, wise mother, confirmed women's roles to be in the home uh, and I should also say that the state propaganda only ever applied to middle-class women. Um, peasant and working-class women were obviously expected to work and work and work. Um, but again, I think similar to uh, the manifesto that uh, Kikue Pen, it shows um, uh, Magara's attempts to delineate and separate her socialist politics from the dominant bourgeois feminist politics at the time by talking about the class division within women. <coughs> So, um, I'll move on to my, okay, <laughs> uh, the, the aftermath of uh, Red Wave. Um, so, while I do want to leave it at this high point, um, the reality is that Red Wave disbanded within six months. It had, didn't even last a year um, and only ever managed to have a membership of about 40 or so. <clears throat> uh, the leading members uh, were either run out of town or arrested. And Magara herself, with several other members, um, were uh, jailed for distributing, arrested and jailed for distributing anti-militarist leaflets to soldiers themselves in November. Um, and this, this was, she was working then for the Enlightened People's Communist Party, which was a predecessor to the official Japanese Communist Party. <clears throat> uh, Magara was then sentenced to four months imprisonment and um, I should say uh, she was only the third woman ever in Japan to be charged for thought crimes, um, along with uh, Fukuda Eko and Kanno Suga, who were uh, revolutionaries executed earlier. <coughs> um, and if people want to read more about those revolutionaries, uh, Mikiso Hane has got an excellent introduction in this book as well. <coughs> so, but um, in some ways, the revolutionaries who were arrested around this time um, Magara Sakai being one of them, but also her father, um, he, uh, they were actually quite lucky to be in the uh, cells at this time. They, um, in uh, Japan, there was the Great Kanto Earthquake in 1923, um, and uh, some 100,000 people's lives were lost. Um, it was a 7.9 magnitude earthquake, um, and it, it, if it wasn't initially the earthquake that killed people, then it wasn't necessarily the fire that broke out that killed people, then it was the authorities' rampage that went around and murdered a whole lot of uh, revolutionaries, um, including Ito Noe, who was one of the founding members. Um, 
Dawn that were here, uh, an anarchist and her lover at the time, um, along with hundreds, hundreds, thousands of uh, ethnic Koreans who were in Tokyo at the time. <coughs> so, uh, yeah, in, in a strange twist of fate, Magara escaped that. Um, Yamakawa, the Yamakawa family had gone into hiding, so they were all right, um, but many other trade unions were not so lucky. <coughs> Um, so it was uh, this kind of repression, I think, that was the immediate cause of the demise of Red Wave, but it wasn't the only cause. And I think the biggest factor um, of the collapse was the um, dis disembandment of the Socialist League, the wider uh, political organisation that Red Wave was affiliated to. Um, there, there was, at the time, uh, the uh, in Japanese, Anaboru Renso, it was an anarchist Bolshevik um, debate, um, and uh, the, the, the debates really kind of came to a head within this organisation and it split apart uh, on this basis. Um, and with the influence of the Russian Revolution, it was a socialist that we was beginning to understand that anarcho-syndicalism was actually something very, very different from communism. <clears throat> um, and this new understanding resulted in Yamakawa Hitoshi, who is um, Shikue's partner, um, founding... Um, and he was also, you know, her along with uh, Yamaka Hitoshi and uh, Kikue were one of the founding members of the Japanese Communist Party. <coughs> and um, one of the big documents from this time was penned by uh, Kikue's partner. He wrote a, a pamphlet called The Change of Direction of the Proletarian Class, which was for the first time an explicit attack on <coughs> anarchism and arguing for the need to create a genuine revolutionary party. Um, and this was obviously influenced by the Comintern as well, who, was, who were wanting to create, you know, revolutionary parties in uh, East Asia. <clears throat> um, but I think it's also important to note the wider class struggle dynamics at the time as well. The decreasing influence of anarchism was also a product of this. Um, workers needed and were searching for some kind of coherent theory and political course of action. Um, and early on, from you know 1907 with the Ashio riots, spontaneous workers' action uh, met the emotional needs of a labour movement. Uh, they wanted to lash out, you know, and they wanted to you know break out from the oppressive uh, social and political system. But with the post-war recession uh, and the backlash, the huge suppression from the government, workers needed something more than blind militancy. They needed. Uh, they were looking for political solutions. <clears throat> Um, and back to Red Wave, Red Wave was also beginning to show these political cracks as well, um, <clears throat> similar to the Socialist League between anarchists and socialists. Um, so I suppose, too, in the concluding comments, uh, you know, unfortunately Red Wave left no tangible legacy in terms of publications, um, and neither were they um, established long enough to, uh, you know, call themselves as genuine organisation with real roots um, in workplaces or social campaigns. Obviously, there are only ever 40 members um, big. Um, but I think it would be misleading to say that they left no legacy. Uh, socialist women and feminists had a partial victory in 1922 when that, um, Article 5 that you know basically <coughs> said women are not prohibit are prohibited from partaking in political activity was partially mended to allow women to um, <clears throat> attend political meetings, although they still weren't allowed to become members of any political meetings, of political organisations. Um, 
and subsequent May Days have had a contingent of women um, attending the marches. Um, so that's uh, uh, until they were banned altogether. But um, that was one kind of positive legacy that they left immediately. Um, and of course, the other thing that uh, I haven't, you know, had a chance to touch on was, of course, Magara and Kikue, along with a few of the other Red Wave members, um, went on to become involved in the first underground Japanese Communist Party that was established in 1922, um, which was a response to the Communist International, you know, uh, saying it's necessary to build revolutionary parties. <coughs> um, but um, I'll let uh, Magara have the last word on what her appraisal of this, uh, these, you know, quite wild six months for her um, in a memoir she wrote six years later. <clears throat> so she says, looking back on it, I neither regret nor am ashamed of my socialist politics. Red Wave was not able to achieve much in the short space of its existence. We were inexperienced and there were undoubtedly points that we deserve to be criticised on. But we owe it to ourselves to give ourselves a pat on the back for standing up together despite our poor and destitute circumstances and for facing up to the most unbelievable persecution and contempt and for leaving behind this legacy. And I'll leave it there. That was Shomi Yun from the International Socialist Organization of Aotearoa speaking about early Japanese communist women. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week. 